morning, everybody. Glad you're here today. And uh, everybody who's joined us online, we're glad you're with us. And remembering our family that meets in Middleville and the one that meets in Delton. Hey, some of you don't know this. This is so cool. Uh, we've been working on this for some time now. We've talked about it. But uh, this last Thursday, we closed on the property for our Delton campus. And we will begin building in just two or three months. So excited. Is that cool or what? Now, it's just very cool to me. Very cool. South side of Delton, a uh, nice piece of property right on M43, so very excited about that. A lot of good things, a lot of good things happening. So, you know, I've been thinking uh, lately that, you know, it's interesting to me, but I, I've come to the conclusion that some of the best gifts I've ever been given, I didn't want at the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like later you look back and you see that it really was a gift, but at the time you didn't think it was a gift and you didn't even want the thing. Let me give you an example. Like, like I was one of those students who did not want to go to school, all right? I thought school was stupid. I thought it was a hassle. I didn't want to go there. I, didn't, I mean, I felt that way, I think, all the way up through graduation. In fact, I think it wasn't until years later that I actually came to the conclusion that education, now, of course, I feel this way, education, my education was an absolute gift to me. At the time, though, I thought it was crazy. Now, I see what a gift it was. I see what a gift those teachers who put up with unappreciative and insane students every day really were to me. And I just want to say to all the teachers, in fact, if you're a teacher, would you just lift your hand? Because I want to say, you are amazing. We love you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how you do it. I'd be in jail for murder, probably, if I'd had to. So many gifts like that that you don't realize at the time. These are, you know, this is a gift, but it seems crazy to you at the time. For example, another one. Um, my dad, who was not a perfect person, but my dad, I look back now and I realize my dad gave me many, many words of wisdom and a strong work ethic for my life. These days, I'm totally appreciative. At the time, I just thought my dad was crazy and ornery. Looking back now, I realize my dad was not crazy. He was a little ornery, that's true, but he was not entirely crazy. And I, at the time, I didn't appreciate the gift. My wife, Anne, has countless times given me gifts when she spoke words to me about my actions or my attitude or my behavior. Any of you husbands know what I'm talking about, where she kind of talked to me the truth about something, she said it to me, and I did not want to hear it. And I was unreceptive to what she said to me. But she now, I look back now and I realize, and I hated to say that on this weekend because she's already heard this talk and she will use this against me in the future. But, but at the time, it'd be like, she's trying to tell me something. I'm like, you, no, don't be telling me what to do. You're not the boss of me. And all the husbands said, you know, yeah, amen. No, all the husbands said, I ain't saying nothing, buddy. My wife's right here next to me. I'm keeping my mouth shut. But, this, but it was like, I didn't see it then as a gift, but I look back now and I see so many times that she had the courage to speak blunt words to me. So many of the best gifts in my life were what I would describe as kind of like mini-interventions. You know, it's like when a person who's caught in the grip of a drug or alcohol addiction, you know, the, the people who care about them, the people who, who deeply care about them, they will at sometimes sit around them and have an intervention where they confront them with the blunt truth. Now, they speak it lovingly and they try to do it tenderly, but it's truth. And sometimes truth is really hard to hear. Would you all agree with that? I mean, like, really hard to hear. 
And the truth sometimes, although Jesus said the truth will set you free, sometimes it's, it's like, I don't even want to hear. But it's what you need. You need the truth. Sometimes you need the blunt truth. We need people in our lives who are like that, who give us the gift of blunt truth. You need it. I need it. And that's what the book of James, which we've been studying, is, a, is really kind of like it's like a, a, you know, an intervention in a box kind of thing. His words are blunt and strong and hard to receive sometimes. And yet the very thing that we need to receive, even though, even though it may be that we'll come to the place where we appreciate the word, sometimes when we first hear them, it may take even years. Uh, in the last couple of years, I was at a place where uh, I looked, there were a lot of people there, and I looked out across the room, and I saw somebody that I knew. And I immediately thought, I hope this person does not see me, because I don't really want to talk to them. I didn't want to, and so, you know, I kind of ducked my head down because I just wanted to avoid them. And the thing was, see, is that a long time ago, this has been many, many years now, I was sort of a James in their life. God used me to speak into their life blunt words. I tried to do it as tenderly as I could. I tried to do it as lovingly as I could. But God used me to speak words into that person's life that they did not want to hear. And it was not, at the time, honestly, it was not all that well received. You know, there was politeness and we didn't, you know, there was no attacking or physical violence or anything, but it was not well received. And I'd actually thought to myself, I kind of reconciled and just said, I think this one's driven a wedge between us that's never going to be pulled out because, you know, this person just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to deal with it. And what I said and what I did, you know, they, they just kind of like, no, no. And so when I saw him, I thought, I don't even want to talk to him. You know, I just, it's done. It's over. I'm, I'm moving out of my life. I don't even want to see them. So I kind of ducked my head down. Of course, they saw me and came right up to me and said, hey, how you doing? I'm like, great. How you doing? You know how you, you are with each other when you see each other and you're like, okay, we have to be friendly and everything. And then this person said to me, hey, uh, there's a lot of people here. Can we just go out? Uh, to a place where it's quiet because I'd like to talk to you for a couple minutes. Would that be okay? And I'm like, I'd love to. I totally lied right at that point, all right? <laughs> I'm just going to admit that flat out. I absolutely lied on that one. But it was like, okay, yeah, sure, we can go do that. We'll talk. And so I, I uh, went over to a quiet place with this person. And it was interesting because I thought it was going to be really bad, but it was one of the coolest conversations because this is the way it started. This person looked at me and said, I just wanted to say you were right. And I'm like, I was right? What are you talking about? I, I, I was right? And the person goes, you know, you know what lies between us. I said, yeah. This person said, you, you were right. And you said what I needed to hear. And at the time, I could not hear it. But now in retrospect, I'm so thankful that you said it. And I'm thankful because it has helped form and shape me. And, and it was such a cool conversation. And the person actually just said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it wasn't cool because I felt vindicated, like, well, I knew I was right. I just didn't, you know, it was a matter of time until you figured it out. It wasn't that. It was that I understood that sometimes people will speak blunt words to me that are hard to take. Sometimes I may speak blunt words to somebody else that are hard to, for them to take. And we can only do the best we can and trust God with that. But we need people in our lives who will speak truth to us that we don't want to hear. That was me waiting for you to say, amen, brother. And then you add it with good preaching. Nobody said that one. Oh, yeah, you said amen. We need that in our lives. Can I just ask you, let me just ask you, this is just, just you, you being honest with you. Do you have someone like that in your life that you have given permission to, that they can speak truth to you, that you will not want to hear? 
No, I know all the guys in here are going, yeah, that's my wife. I didn't give her permission. She does it anyhow. You know, it's just, no, 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 I'm talking about, have you given permission? Have you really done that? Have you given permission to someone? Have you said, I want you to know that you can speak the truth to me that I do not want to hear because I need to hear it. And I challenge you to have people like that in your life. Not people who are from a far distance away that can never really know what truth you need to hear, but people who are close. We, we need those words. They are gifts to us. We need people like James. And so, as I said, we've been looking each week. This is week three now in this series called Blunt because this, that's what James, I mean, you read his words. It's like, this guy is just borderline rude, it feels like sometimes. And yet these are things that we need to hear. So each week we've been looking at a small portion, and this weekend I want to look at another portion, and it's found in James chapter 2. Now, we have Bibles under, behind the chairs. I'm not going to read all these verses uh, to you on the screen. I want you actually to pull it up in a Bible. Open your phone, open your Bible app or your tablet, open your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app on those uh, apparatus, you should, okay? Get, it, get the, YouTube, uh, the YouVersion Bible, get it downloaded on your phone. But go to James chapter 2. It's page 848 on the Bibles that we have in the chairs. And I'm going to pick up at verse 14. And we're going to read again. (coughs) Excuse me. This is a rather lengthy portion of Scripture. So James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no what? All right. Six of you are reading with me. Let me try it again. Let's see. I want to hear you guys respond on this. All right. I need your help. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, no actions? Can such a faith save them? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Then he gives an example. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any of you says to them, well, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. Now, he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, you know, everybody has whatever. No, no, he says, you show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. I will show that to you, he says. Thank you. (coughs) He says, You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Again, here's James with his bluntness. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, just a little time out for those of you who are unfamiliar with Old Testament scripture. Isaac was a man who had a passion for God, and he did not offer his son on the altar to the end But God called him out to see if he was willing to give up everything, what he valued most, for God. And he did. And then God stayed his hand in the end, and he did not offer his son as a sacrifice on the altar. He says, you see, picking up at verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he, what? What he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. He says, you see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even, and then he takes it kind of even to what seems like a baser example. He says, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies? And he 
references another Old Testament story and sent them off in a different direction. And so he concludes this in verse 26 by saying, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, read it out loud with me, is dead. Is dead. Now James, obviously, in a, in a pretty blunt and, and I would say almost brutal way, is trying to combat something that I think probably has been around since the beginning of mankind's fallenness. It is this tendency that people, we the people, have to say something like this. Yeah, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. But there is no corresponding appropriate action in our lives. So we're saying we believe in God. We're vocalizing it. We're telling people, I'm a Christian. But there's no behavior that indicates it in our lives. So, for example, it, it would often be, this is the way you often hear people talk about themselves when they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I get in these conversations all the time. People say, you know, you're talking with guys, it's like, it's always going to happen. What do you do for a living? And I hate to say it, because then they're going to stop swearing and all that, you know, and it, I don't want them to be any different. But I'll say I'm a pastor, and they'll go, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. And what really is happening is they're describing a piece of who they believe they are. So it's something like, well, I'm 37 years old. You know, I have three kids and, and a wife, and, and I work in management. I love golf, and, and I, I like to do a little bowling periodically, too, and, and I'm really into some certain video games. And, and oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And James says, mm, not really. Not really, no. Because in this particular situation, in this, from this perspective, it doesn't work that way. Now, I understand that sometimes we use I believe something and, and it's perfectly legitimate. You may say, for example, you, maybe you've never been to Moscow. Maybe you've never stood in the Red Square in the Kremlin. But you believe it's there. That's legit because you've heard about it. You know, you've seen it on TV. So you believe, you legitimately believe it's there. That's, that, that's fine. That works. But not in this. Because we're not talking about believing in some physical locale here. We're not talking about believing in some thing. We're talking now about believing that there is a God who loves us and gave himself up for us and calls us to walk with him and spend our lives in a commitment to him. And if you really believe that, there will be corresponding actions in your life. It will change how you live. Come on. Is that true? It doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't mean you have your act together. It doesn't mean you got it all figured out. What it means is, is that at the center of your life, not as a piece of your life, something that's part of, you know, one of this, you know, well-orbed life. I'm this and this and this. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian too. No, 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 no. This is the center of who you are. And you just think about this. I know some of you are challenging this in your mind, and that's fine. I mean, I totally accept that. But just think about this. If God really is, if he is who he says he is, if he is the beginning and the end, if he is the creator, if he calls us to himself, what piece of you could possibly be as important as that? Nothing. So James says, do you have, you have to understand here that if you really believe in God, if it is a true faith, a true belief, this is not just a little piece of who you are. This is central to who you are. 
I believe in God. I believe in who he is. I believe that he gave his life for me and I choose to follow him and therefore it's going to impact every part of my life. Now listen, listen, listen. That means there's none of this. Well, my faith is a very private thing. It's just between me and God and I don't really want to. No. Do you understand that if you do have faith in God, true faith in God, that it's going to change everything about your life and that you don't want it to be private and you don't want it to be something you hide away because it impacts how you make choices and how you speak words and how you do stuff. Again, it doesn't make you perfect, but it motivates and drives everything you do. You can't say, my faith is just a very private thing. It's just me and God. No, it's not. You can't keep it private and you don't want it to be private if it is real faith. Because we're talking about God. And this, folks, this, this stuff is huge. It changes how you live if it's really there, if it's really true. You know, there's another place in Scripture that speaks to this very subject. And I would say speaks with the same kind of bluntness to what I would describe as maybe mediocre faith. Faith that's really maybe not even faith. It's just a, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And it's found in the book of Revelations where Jesus is actually speaking to believers, people who call themselves believers. And he's speaking sometimes words that feel a little bit hard. And in the third chapter of Revelation, and I'll put it up on the screen so you don't have to look, and this begins at the 14th verse. Jesus speaking says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and he basically was telling John who wrote the book of Revelations, he said, write these to these different churches, and really it's just to people, it's speaking to people that need to hear these words. And this is what he says. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In other words, this is God speaking. And this is what he says. He says, I know your what? Your deeds. And that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But you don't realize, Jesus says, that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. So he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. And then look what he says. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. In other words, I speak bluntly. I speak truth to them because they need to hear that. He says, I rebuke and I I discipline them. This is huge. So be earnest and repent. In other words, act like you believe what you say you believe. Here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person. And they with me, in other words, we'll engage in a relationship. It will be good. I'm here. I want it. But he's very blunt. He's very blunt on this. And basically, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I do. And I want a relationship with you. But I'm going to speak honestly to you. And I'm going to speak bluntly to you. You are either in or out. You cannot play the I'm a Christian game. You are either in or out. Or out. And if you think you can kind of sit somewhere in the middle and just say, well, I believe in God. (coughs) Excuse me. I, I, I believe God's real. I'm a Christian. But you're not serious about it. And there's no corresponding action showing in your life that you're really living that way. 
You're not in. So those whom I love, because I love you, I'm going to speak the truth to you. But I think sometimes, this, is, this, this scares me, because I think sometimes we miss this. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think some of us need to hear this challenge. I think some of us totally need to hear this. Yeah, 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 I understand. I'm not saying you're an evil person. I'm not saying you're Hitler Jr. I'm not saying you're a terrible, terrible person. But you say you're a Christian and you go to church occasionally and you, you try to live a decent, you know, good American life and all that stuff. And you say all that. But if you are gut level honest, there is very little behavior in your life. There are very few deeds in your life that reflect the fact that God is central to who you are. And so this is a challenge I want to issue. It's going to sound harsh any way I say it, but I'm just going to say it to you. Have some integrity. Don't talk it if you're not in. Don't talk it if you're not in. Don't say, I'm a Christ follower, a Christian, I'm a believer, if you are not living it. I'm not condemning you because you're not living it. What I'm saying is, is just have some character and be honest about who you really are. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes many people make is that they try to play this game where they talk it like, yeah, I believe there. Yeah, I believe there's a God. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I think there's a God. But they, there's no corresponding action. They don't live like it. It's not reflected in how they do their daily life. And again, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. You have it figured out. Nothing like that. But it should show And you know that you make very few decisions, if any, based on the fact that you are committed to follow Christ and you love Him and you want to give your life to Him. And I'm just saying, be honest about it. And I know some of you right now, you're like, dude, you're harsh today. Is this like a turn or burn talk, you know? Like, you're trying to tell me I'm going to hell? I'm not trying to tell you. I'm not trying to judge you at all. Listen, I I actually think what I'm saying is not harsh, but it's loving. Because I totally respect when people say, I do not believe there's a God. Now, understand, I don't agree with them. But I respect that they're honest about it. I respect honesty at a core level in a person. I respect it when a person says, you know, maybe there's a God. I don't know. You would call them agnostic. They're not sure if they believe there's a God or not. They just don't know. But they say, you know, I don't know if there's a God. I'm not sure there is. But to be honest with you, I'm not really interested in figuring it out. I'm enjoying my life, and this is what I want to do. I may not agree with them. I don't actually agree with them, but I respect their honesty about what they're saying. I believe we should be honest. And this is exactly what God was saying. Jesus spoke this. We just read it in Revelations. He said, you're not cold. You're not hot. You're lukewarm. He said, I wish you were what? Anybody remember? One or the other. Now, that seems almost a little strange that God would say, I I wish you were either hot or cold. Don't you think he'd always wish we were hot? But see, what he wishes is that we start with is being honest. You're in or you're not. And I want to challenge you. Just have character on this one. You know, actually, my heart has been for decades now that this church be a place where people who would say, I do not believe there's a God. And I know them. 
could come to this church and feel accepted and feel welcome, even though they're on a different page than we are spiritually. We may not agree, but they could say, I don't believe there's a God, but they could feel welcome here. I think you people are crazy. You lift your hands when you sing. What is that? You're changing light bulbs or something, you know, you're weird. I don't buy all that. But because I feel like you've accepted me, I'm willing to hear a little more. That's the kind of church you want to be. But you've got to be honest about it. You know, the people that have to hear this message, that need to periodically hear this message. Notice, when we read that from Revelation, Jesus said, write this to the church. He was writing to people who call themselves. It's not the people who are honest straight up that need to hear this. It's the people who are playing mind games, saying, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. But there is no corresponding action. There is no behavior indicating that you're really living that kind of life. It's just not there. So let me just ask. Are you in? Or are you out? And there's no judgment here on my part. Whichever way you choose, I would just ask you to be honest about it. Are you in? Or are you out? I think it's a mistake to say what you think your wife wants to hear. Now, I know some of the women are like, what? But when it comes to this area, just because she wants you to be spiritual... I think it's a mistake for you to try to act when you talk to her like you really believe what you don't believe. God says, I want you to be one or the other because then you know where you are. Then you can deal with that. Are you in or are you out? Now, I'm aware that also some of you right now, and you would have said, I'm in. Right now you're going, I'm starting to feel a little nervous. I mean, am I in or am I out? I mean, am I lukewarm or am I hot? Am I cold? What what am I? Is Jesus about to spit me out of his mouth? And I think it's a great question. What does a, a life of true faith look like? What does it mean to be a true believer? I think it's a question we should be asking and periodically going back and reviewing. Now, let me just give you my perspective on this because I think this is really important. I already said this. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect and have your act together. Here's the truth about you and I. We are broken. Come on, is that true? I mean, just look at the person next to you. It's obvious. We're all broken. And you will fail. Oh my gosh, if you haven't done it, read the Bible. Do you know that all the heroes of faith that are listed and talked about in the Bible, every single one of them, without any exceptions, is deeply flawed. They're all deeply flawed. And some of them did terrible things, bad things. And there are times when you will fail and do things you deeply regret. And there are times that you will know what the will of God is and you will turn your head away from it and you will do that which you know should not be done. This is a spiritual war zone that we live in and we will at times get knocked down. Come on, is that true? Doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Doesn't matter how many verses you know. Doesn't matter how committed you are to God. At times, we fail. Here is the difference. The true believer, when they get knocked down, when they fail, they get back up and they go back to God and they keep going back to God and they refuse to stop going back to God and they may have failed, but they do not make excuses for this and they do not say, well, that's just the way it is. That's just how I'm built. I'm just that. They don't do that stuff. They just keep going back to God and saying, I blew it back there, but I'm coming after you because there's no other place to go. A true believer is not a perfect person. I think many people get confused about this. In fact, I think the church has been so guilty of 
kind of building this atmosphere like, you know, the really religious people, they just, they just, they live so good. And the truth is that often what we're actually doing is just hiding our failures and we're not honest about them. We try to act like we're doing good, like we got it figured out. And we don't. And the truth is, is that people who are true believers, they realize how broken they are and that they only really have one place to go. It's their connection with God. That's all they have. I love a quote that I saw recently. This is by a guy named Os Hillman. This is what it says. He, he says, it is the acknowledgement of our humanity and our frailness that places us in a position to have a personal encounter <clears throat> with the living God. True believers know they're broken. And it's when you're in that place where you're like, ah, I have nowhere else to turn but God. And so you run back to him and you run back to him and you run back to him. One of the biggest hindrances to people being in is that they think because they've been in for a while and they live a pretty decent life that it's good enough. But you can never live good enough to be in relationship with God. Come on, is that true? Because He's a perfect God and we, we're broken, we fail. <coughs> it doesn't matter how good you get. You, you'll, you'll never be enough. And, and this is what happens sometimes is we just think, well, I'm pretty, you know, I'm living a pretty decent life. Things are going well. You know, and we wouldn't even say it out loud. We wouldn't be obnoxious and say, I'm not like some of these other heathens that I've seen. Whoa, these people are so screwed up. And we look at them and Jesus actually tells a parable about this, which to me is so heartbreaking and so revelatory. Let's take a look at this. This is found in Luke chapter 18. Jesus speaks to those who were confident of their own righteousness and, and looked down on everyone else. And so he told them this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee, okay, so the Pharisee was like super religious guy. He was really religious. He had it all down. And the tax collector those days were viewed way worse than we view tax collectors today. These guys were considered by everybody on both sides of the, the equation. They were considered thieves and cheats and people with no character, no integrity. And so both of them go up to pray. And it says the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Jesus didn't say if he said it out loud so the tax collector could hear it. We don't know. But he goes on, he says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. In other words, I'm doing pretty daggone good. Then Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is what Jesus says. And every time I read it, it rocks me. He says, I tell you that man, the tax collector, the sinner, that man, Jesus says, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says, it is not about how perfect a life you've lived. You've lived. It is, do you keep running back to God? Are you in or are you out? I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how many Bible verses. You know, I don't care about this stuff. Are you in or are you out? Let me tell you something about me, and this is really true. I love broken people. I love people who struggle and have difficulties in their lives, but are honest about it. Because at least they know where they are. And some of them have fought battles that I've never fought. Some of, some of you are like me. In fact, there's probably plenty of us that are like me. 
You weren't raised in an atmosphere, a home atmosphere that was so unsafe and so damaging that it affected the rest of your life, the rest of your days. You have to fight battles that other people... I was raised in a relatively loving... It wasn't perfect, but it was a relatively warm and secure home. And I don't have to fight some of the battles they do. And so because I have this... I'm ahead. You know, I've got these things covered. And I don't fall to some of these things that other people fall to. There's a tendency in me to think, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not like them. But I actually think... Those people can be just as strong a believer or stronger than I can because what my battle is not those. My battle is self-sufficiency. I'm smart. I got it figured out. I'm reasonably successful. I haven't been fired in the last year. You know, whatever it is that you choose to say, this, I got it together. That is the battle of self-sufficiency and in eternity may prove to be the biggest battle we have to fight. You cannot fix it you are not good enough you need god amen you need god so are you in are you out i just challenge you to be honest about it You'll be loved and accepted here, whatever you say. Somebody comes up to me after a service, you know, today, says, I just want you to know, I don't believe in God. I would say what I said up here. I respect that. I respect your honesty in that. You have to figure that out. But the most dangerous place to live is the place, the in-between, the land of in-between, where you're lukewarm and you're faking it, but you're not really there. So what do, you, what do you do with this, what you've heard? You know, for some of us, maybe, maybe we're kind of convicted and we're like, you know, I think I'm in, but, but I'll be honest, the actions in my life haven't, haven't shown it lately. Again, I'm not talking about being perfect, but do you keep going back to God? Are you striving to live your life motivated by your heart for God? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe for you, what you need to do is step up. And if you say you're part of a church family, then be in that church family. Be there. <clears throat> Go to church and, and get engaged and serve and get in a life group. You know, the guys in my life group, this is one of the things that we say to each other often. We love the group because it's a place where we can come and talk about the fact that we struggle and we fail. And then we get encouraged to be what we're meant to be and called to be. And we come back at it. We keep going back to God. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you're here and you would say, I'm just so far from God, I feel like step one is I just have to come back and say, God, I'm back. I want to be in. I want to walk with you. I want to commit to you. Or maybe I want to step into it for the first time. Are you in? Are you out? So I want to... I just want to say, if you're here and you would say... I think I've been out, but I want to be in. I'd love to pray with you. Now, this is my promise. And there's a reason I do this. It's because in the end, this really is about you and God. But my promise is, I won't make you come to the front. <coughs> I won't demand that you, you know, uh, 
stand up here and do certain things. We won't try to brainwash you. We won't push you. We won't make you stand up in your seat or point you out to anybody. But sometimes it's good to take a step and to say, I am in. I want to pray. And maybe you've never taken a step across the line of faith, or maybe you did, but you've been far from God. I would love to pray with you. We'll do it where you're seated. Again, I won't make you stand up or speak out loud or anything. But would you all just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? We just, uh, last weekend, we gave an invitation at all our campuses. We had 60 people make decisions for Christ. Is that awesome? And I thought, do I need to do it this week? I thought, what I'm talking about, this is so important. Are you in or you out? If you need to come back to Christ, or you want to step across the line and become a follower of Christ today, I will pray with you where you're seated. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me real quick? All right, awesome. Okay, cool. Just lift your hand. If I haven't made eye contact with you, and wave it at me. All right, awesome, buddy. Who else? Yes, sir. Okay, here, here, there. Awesome. There, there. Okay, cool, guys. Who else? If that's you, just lift your hand. You're saying, that's you back here, okay? Who else? All right, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Jeff, I want to do this. I need to make this decision to follow Christ. We'll pray in just a moment. But if we haven't made eye contact, just wave your hand at me real quick. All right. Last call here. All right. All right. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please, everybody. I know some of you are too scared to lift your hands. Just the whole thing scares the daylights out of you. Afraid of becoming a crazy nut. And yet you feel God speaking to you and you need to do this. You can still. I'm going to pray and you just, you have to do this on the inside. This is a prayer you pray. But if this is what you want, just this is how you do it. Just say, God, I need you in my life. Just say that in your heart. God, I need you in my life. And so I give you my heart. Just tell him, I give you my heart. I believe. To the best of my ability, I Believe. Just tell him that. I believe. And I'm asking you to come in and take charge of my life. Just pray that. Jesus, I ask you to come in and take charge of my life. Believe in who you are. Believe that you love me. And so take charge of my life. I choose to follow you. In your own words, I choose to follow you, Jesus. And if you prayed that simple prayer, it's a step. It's not all the steps you'll take. But it's a mammoth step. And your life can be changed. And so now, God, we pray for every person who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer, whether they lifted their hand or not. We pray that they would have an awareness of your presence in the coming days, that they would walk high with you, that they would experience your love, your grace, your help, your strength, and that they would grow and grow and grow, and their lives would show the deeds of a true believer. And God, for those who prayed, the rest of us say, Yay, God, we're so glad to be a part of something like that. Yay, God, such a cool thing. All right, all right, let's stand to our feet. And those of you who lifted your hand, or even if you just want it, we got a book, it's called The Seven Basics. You can text to get it, as you'll see, and we'll send it to you. Or you can go right out to the Next Step area and talk to them about getting in a group or getting a book or getting involved in serving or whatever. And we have an Explore God class, a group that meets on Sundays at 11, just kind of goes around the clock. It's a really cool thing. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Check that out at your next step area. Now let me just pray and send you out with a blessing. May you go with an awareness of God's presence. May you sense his peace.
And may you live as a true believer in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen.